when he saw me, he immediately recognized me as the Imam of Al-Huda Masjid and said, oh, we have a great relationship. We got a great relationship with Al-Huda. You know, the board members, the community, we're very happy with you guys. There's just one problem. This is the first thing he says. He goes, man, every single Friday, there are so many calls complaining about you guys. Every Friday, the whole neighborhood seems to all collectively just call and complain about this masjid every Friday. So I took that as translation, your neighbors hate you. Just that simple. We should remember that the Prophet ﷺ said what? Whoever believes in Allah and the last day, and why these two in particular, Allah knows best, but some interpret and say, believing in Allah is about hope. The last day is about judgment day, it's about fear. So whether you have hope or fear, and you should have both, whoever believes in Allah and the last day, then he should not harm his neighbor. And even more powerfully, the Prophet ﷺ tells us what? He will not enter paradise, the one whose neighbor is not secure from his bad behavior. He will not, what, why? Because he's not a true believer. If you don't even have decency towards your own neighbor, then this idea that you truly believe in Allah and the last day, the statement is no, no. You will not, he will not enter paradise, the one who, who is, uh, his neighbor is not secure from his bad behavior. Unfortunately, Many of us are driving dangerously, parking our cars terribly, and during the month of Ramadan, we leave our kids to roam the streets, and even not during the month of Ramadan. Some of us, we bring our kids here, drop them off, don't know what they're doing. They could be up to all sorts of, all kinds of no good, and subhanAllah, harassing the neighbors and bothering people as they drive by, and this is our behavior. Just a little while ago, someone took a picture and sent it to me, and it was a picture of someone who left their car not just in somebody else's parking lot, but on someone else's lawn during Jummah. And I don't mean a little bit. I mean like entirely the car is just on grass. Like they just parked on somebody's lawn. And subhanAllah. I mean, it's not bad enough to block our neighbor's driveways and park in their parking lots. But subhanAllah, we even leave our cars on their lawn. This is, what type of behavior is this? Now I need to be clear about this. Our primary goal in life is not to be popular. This is not a popularity contest. Some people will dislike us just because we are Muslims. And we have to accept that fact and say, you know what? My goal is not to please everybody, it's to please Allah. That should be mentioned primarily. However, the fact of the matter is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does command the believers and tells all of us to honor our neighbors. So if this community doesn't like us, it's not because we're practicing Muslims, rather it's because specifically we are not applying our Islam. There's a big difference between being the martyr and saying, you know, they hate me for my Islam. No, it's the opposite. It's because you are avoiding your Islam and you are not applying proper adab. We're not showing them what Islamic character looks like by helping the neighbor when in need, by visiting them when they're sick, by congratulating them when they've succeeded, by giving condolences when they've lost, lost someone, by being first to greet them, by speaking to them in nice words, not just to them, but to their children as well, and overlooking their mistakes and respecting their privacy and picking up litter around their homes and around the area. This is what Islamic adab looks like. And unfortunately, we aren't displaying any of that. So I was very embarrassed that after years, I'm still talking from the mimbar about parking. I've made a video recently, I'm sure many of you saw it, where I'm explaining this is the new parking spot that we have. We have a whole area that we can walk from. We built a whole trail to walk down that we can get to this other parking area, the launch fishers. Unfortunately, many people are not using it. And this is becoming very frustrating. 
And we need to understand that the average American doesn't know anything about Islam. The average American, they don't know about Tawheed, the oneness of God. They don't know about how we pray our Salah. They don't understand the fact that we're charitable, we give zakat and sadaqah and so forth, that we're of benefit to humanity. They don't know this stuff. All they know is what they've been told by the media, which is that the Middle East is always fighting. Everybody in the Middle East is always fighting. They're violent, they don't know how to be civilized, it's not in their nature, they're just barbaric, and they can't wait to leave their country so they can come to the West. Why? Because obviously it's superior. That's the image that is downloaded in their minds. And then they say, isn't it frustrating that when these Muslims decide to finally come to the West, how do they behave? They may be kind to you at first, when they're small in number. But as their size increases, their consideration of others decreases. That seems to be the pattern. There's a term for this kind of behavior. It's called a bully. That's what bullies do. When they're small in number, they're very quiet. And then when they grow in size, they become less and less considerate and they start to become harsher and harsher. Would anybody park in their neighbor's driveway when they're alone, just by themselves, just one car? Of course not, but when there's 20 people doing it and you say to yourself, you know what, strength in numbers, that's, yeah, that's called being a bully. And unfortunately, these non-Muslims are thinking, if they keep growing, then look at those Middle East countries. Constant war over there, and they're, that they're trying to escape from, now they're gonna bring that behavior over here. I know many of you might have noticed that there was a banner in front of our entrance of the masjid. It said, you know, thousands of children have died in Gaza, so call this number, or text this number, and text ceasefire. We had that banner in front. And to my understanding, the city asked us to take it down. Now, I don't know all the facts about that situation, but I can guess, and I think it's quite you know, fair to assume that after the city received so many complaints from their neighbors about it, that maybe that's what motivated them to take down, to, to say, listen, you need to take down that banner. Because obviously, if nobody's complaining, nobody cares. Nobody even knows about it or notices. But apparently, they complain about us all the time. So it seems like a reasonable thing to think. I'm sure many of you are aware that in Vermont, there were three young college kids that were shot just for wearing the Palestinian scarf. I'm sure many of you are aware that just half an hour, 40 minutes from here, the Isna Plainfield Masjid was burglarized. And perhaps some of you are aware, and I just recently sent out what I had received, some very distressing news. You know, going back to this interfaith breakfast that I was at, after having this conversation with the mayor and feeling extremely embarrassed that this is what he knows me for and knows our community for, a pastor comes up to me who's a very friendly, kind man who has always been very supportive of our community. He comes up to me and he says, I just want to say I'm really sorry about the flyers that recently got passed around your area. And I was confused. I said, what are you talking about? What flyers are you referring to? He said, you know, the KKK flyers. I said, excuse me? He goes, yeah, you haven't seen it? You didn't know? I, no, I wasn't aware of that. So he opens his phone and he shows me many, many different flyers. He says, this was distributed all around Sunblessed. Sunblessed is literally across the street. Somebody has a strong enough arm, they could throw a rock and, you know, it's that close. So right across the street, he's saying, you didn't see all these? And there's about five or four or five different pamphlets. He's showing me that this was distributed all around the, what they call the White Knights of the Templar or something, KKK, whatever it is. And they're saying, you know, we got to get rid of these immigrants and so on and so forth. Now, do you think it's a coincidence that they're advertising their cause and saying, call us and here's our number, here's our information. Do you really think that all that advertising 
happened literally across the street from the biggest masjid in this entire state as a coincidence? I don't think so, personally. I think that that's unlikely. It seems quite targeted. Now, based on our behavior, based on how much the neighbors call and complain about us, do you think it's possible that some of them start to think to themselves, you know what, maybe we do need to get rid of these immigrants. Brothers and sisters, if racist organizations are more active in their da'wah to our neighbors than we are, what else is going to motivate you? What else is going to get you into action? I don't like the idea of da'wah and talking to people. I like to just stay in my own little comfort zone. I don't like to get out of my bubble. Well, guess what? Da'wah efforts are happening. People are calling to something, but it's not us, unfortunately. This seems to be the case. Because when I say that we are hosting an interfaith event, a dinner, and I say, listen, we're going to be hosting, I don't know, a large group of church fulan, something, some certain church, whatever it may be, church this one or that one. And I say, okay, we're going to have this many people coming to the masjid. I want us to show up in big numbers. Out of a thousand people, maybe 10, 15 people show up, usually the same people. And the rest of us, oh, I don't, not my business, who cares? Despite the fact that da'wah is happening to our very own neighbors, and it does concern us, but it's not our da'wah, it's somebody else's. Brothers and sisters, winning is a habit, and losing is a habit. That's what I want to talk about. Please remember this statement. Winning is a habit, and losing is a habit as well. The more you do, you, the more you do, either, uh, the more you do of either one of them, the more you get used to it. So, for example, when Bani Israel, when they left Egypt with Musa السلام, they finally got free from their slavery, they started missing Egypt. And they started saying, we want to go back and we miss this and we miss that. Why? How could you miss slavery? Well, because when you're used to being enslaved, when you're used to being a second-class citizen, when you're not used to freedom, when you're used to people telling you what to do and treating you in a terrible way, even if it's awful, you get used to it. And it becomes familiar. Simply put, when you've been losing for so long, winning feels wrong. When you've been losing for so long, winning feels wrong. Today, unfortunately, we turn on the news, we check our phones, and we see what's going on around the world. And we see death, lots of death. We see, subhanAllah, such terrible oppression. We're angry about this oppression. We see this, the murdering of our brothers, our sisters, our elders, and our children. And you might be frustrated, but even if we aren't winning politically right now, we can always win spiritually by overcoming our worst impulses. We can uh, win also intellectually by learning our deen correctly. We can win personally by practicing our deen. But what I want to focus on today is what? Is a different type of winning, winning socially with positive engagement in our community. That's what we need. We can always speak to non-Muslims. We can always give da'wah. We can, whether they accept Islam or not, we can show them the strength and the truth of Islam. So they walk away saying, even if I don't agree with those guys, at least they make a great, a great case for Islam. They make a lot of sense. And their food's pretty good. You know, they seem pretty interesting. They seem like nice people. So yes, of course, obviously we want to give da'wah. We want people to embrace Islam. But there's, there's layers to this. It's not binary, ones and zeros. Right? Even if you don't get the shahada, you can still get what? Someone becomes more familiar, and maybe they talk to their cousins, or their neighbors, or their friends, or whoever, and say, you know what, they're not so bad. 
Maybe years down the line, they speak to their kids and say, these are good people, and those kids become more interested in Islam. You never know the residual effect. You just have to plant the seed and you pray that Allah Ta'ala allows it to grow. So what is my point? If you're frustrated with our political position and you don't want to get used to losing, then start winning where you can win. Spiritually, intellectually, personally, and specifically right now, socially. Otherwise, if you refuse to become socially relevant, if you barely know or practice your own deen, if you hide your Islam in public, and if you give our masjid a bad reputation, then you're embracing being a loser. And again, as we said, losing is a habit. Winning is a habit and losing is a habit. The fact is that losing actually causes a disease in the heart. SubhanAllah. Allah Ta'ala talks about this. When speaking about opposing oppression, Allah Ta'ala says, قَاتِلُوهُمْ يُعَذِّبُهُمُ اللَّهُ بِأَيْدِيكُمْ وَيُخْزِهِمْ وَيَنْصُرْكُمْ عَلَيْهِمْ وَيَشْفِي صُدُورَ قَوْمٍ مُؤْمِنِينَ Allah says, when it comes to the people oppressing you and fighting you, fight against them. Allah will punish them by your hands and will disgrace them and give you victory over them. And this is the key part. Then Allah says, and he will heal the chests of the believing people. What does that imply? Why does the chest, why does the heart need a cure after being oppressed? Because losing is a habit and it turns into what? The disease called an inferiority complex. You start to embrace the idea. That you know what, that's just the way we do things. Well, what's the, what's the Muslim standard time? Oh yeah, we're always late. You just make it a joke and it's part of who we are and you, you plan your wedding in such a way where yeah, of course everyone's gonna show up three hours late. This perpetuating this attitude of yeah, we're all failures. Let's just give a, each other a bunch of high fives because we all, we're all losers. This attitude is incredibly destructive. If not for your own dignity, for the dignity of our community, please. Let's remember that prevention is better than cure. Prevention is better than the cure. What do I mean? Far too often we are reactionary instead of thinking ahead. I'll give an example, and you can ask yourselves if you've even thought this far ahead. I'm afraid most of us aren't thinking this much ahead, so I wanna challenge you. Ask yourself, have I thought this far ahead? Let's imagine we continue with this bad reputation with our neighbors. Let's say we continue along this path. And then we know that there's a construction project right across the street. Everybody sees it every day. You pass by, you see that big area. Hundreds of new families, hundreds of new homes are going to be built, are going to be constructed in Shalatada, many of which are going to be Muslim families. So what does that mean? Are we thinking about it? Are we concerned about it? Are we calculating and saying, you know what? If all these new homes show up, all these new Muslims show up, that means more traffic and more complaints and a lot more people uncomfortable with the changing demographics of this city. And then this is going to result as in what? an increase in frustration, anger, and hatred. And then, let me guess what's gonna happen next. We're all gonna sit around and say to ourselves, hmm, we should start thinking of a solution. No, no, you should have been building bridges since way before those homes were built. Instead of saying, now this is a becoming a problem. It was already a problem. It was just simmering beneath the surface. And we were asleep at the wheel. Why? Because I gotta make that money and I gotta just you know, focus on my career and I just gotta me, me, me. Never thinking about the community, never thinking about your deen, and rarely thinking about, unfortunately, the importance of da'wah. We have to think ahead. Prevention is better than the cure. Brothers and sisters, this crisis in Gaza is awful. It's horrible. But within it, there is an opportunity. Non-Muslims are curious. They're more curious than ever. 
What do Muslims think about this conflict? What's their side of the story? How are they feeling right now? It's a very popular, common sentiment. So will we take the opportunity to make ourselves known, to talk about who we are politically, but even more importantly, religiously, what our deen says, what Islam is all about, what we believe? Will we take that opportunity or will we do nothing? Inshallah, we'll continue in the second khutbah wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhammad wa ala alayhi wa sallam, 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 When we take a look at the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we see something very important. Anybody who studies the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they should be familiar with Salh al-Hudaybiyyah, the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah. Hudaybiyyah, where was that? It was a location somewhere a little bit on the outskirts, you could say, of Mecca. In short, just for those of you that are unfamiliar, we know that the Prophet ﷺ living in Medina and the Quraysh and the disbelievers, the pagans living in Mecca, for years they had been in conflict, fighting back and forth. Many different battles had taken place between them. And then in the sixth year of Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ had wahi. He received a dream, he received revelation that said, you have to go make Umrah. You have to go to Mecca. And so they went. And upon arriving near Mecca in this area, called Hudaybiyyah, the Quraysh agreed to make a peace treaty with the Prophet ﷺ. They said, okay, we've been at war for a long time, we can make a peace treaty. You're not going to make Umrah, you're not going to come in here, but you do, we, we will accept the peace treaty. Now, unfortunately, this peace treaty favored the Quraysh and was unfavorable for the believers. It was a very biased agreement, but the Muslims were in somewhat of a, you could say, weak, weaker position, and so they accepted. They said, look, as long as it's a peace treaty, even though the terms are bad, and there's a lot of details, we can go into a lot of detail, but just for the sake of brevity, they accepted essentially a biased and a bad agreement, so long as it could create what? Peace. And then Allah Ta'ala revealed something incredible. Allah says what? Indeed, we have given you, O Muhammad a clear and obvious conquest. You won. And the believers were feeling depressed. They got sent away from their Umrah. They felt like the treaty was biased. They didn't understand. They were angry. Everybody's feeling frustrated on their way back to Medina. And then the Prophet receives this revelation. This is a big victory. Why? Because Allah knows what we don't know. And so what did we find out as time goes forward? Why was it a victory? Because the Prophet had been living and the believers had been living in this tumultuous wartime for so long. Now, finally, they have a treaty that says no more war, just peace. So immediately, what was the attitude? Let's go out to the various tribes. We give da'wah and we create alliances. Those who are interested in Islam, embrace. Those who are not, at least we can create an alliance. We can find ways to work together. We can benefit one another. So while the Quraysh were sitting and not doing much, years go by during this peace treaty. Meanwhile, the believers are hustling. The believers are taking advantage of peacetime. To what? Build bridges. So. What was the big lesson in all this? Well, we know what the result is. The result was that a few years go by, the Quraysh break the treaty, they violate the treaty. The Prophet says, okay, you guys violated it, so it's off. And then soon after that, the Prophet was able to, with his huge amount of political force, what transformed from a weaker political party and now to a giant powerhouse, they get to walk into Mecca and the Fath Mecca. The conquest of Mecca happens peacefully. The disbelievers don't even try. They're not like, oh, maybe we could, no, no, forget about it. Just they walked right in and everything was taken over peacefully. What is the lesson? Peacetime is for building alliances. Peacetime is for building bridges and giving da'wah. 
We see what's going on around the world and we see a whole lot of turmoil, war, pain, suffering. I'm sure they'd love to be able to sit down and have a nice dinner in a multi-faith room and just tell everybody this is what we believe and I want to introduce you to Islam. I'm sure they'd love that option. They don't have it. We do. We have that opportunity. Why? Why is peacetime to build bridges? So that when hard times arrive, we're actually prepared for it. We've actually created the necessary alliances. We've brought more people to Islam. We've made ourselves known. Ultimately, we rely upon Allah and nobody else. But that doesn't mean that you don't work hard. You still have to work hard and build as much as you can by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to discuss our faith publicly. We need to tell ourselves, and even more, we need to tell our kids to have a certain mentality. The mentality that says what? I refuse to sit by when falsehood is loud and the truth is quiet. I refuse to make the truth private to me while lies are filling the public space. I cannot sit by and watch this, not even for one more second. That should be the attitude of the Muslim. And unfortunately, it is not. Because most of us, we like our private Islam. We like our private truth. This is just for me, makes me feel good. A'udhu Billah. Yes, this is the truth, but it's not just for you, it's for everybody. So we make dua, Ya Allah, make us good neighbors for this entire Neighborhood. Ya Allah, make us good neighbors. First and foremost, Ya Allah, make us good neighbors. Amin Ya Rabbil Alameen. Ya Allah, help us to learn the Sunnah of the Prophet. And Ya Allah, help us to learn specifically the lesson that peacetime is for bridge building. Help us to learn that peacetime is for bridge building. Ya Allah, give us the patience and the courage to make and to convey the correct image of Islam. And Ya Allah, make us work hard and make us work harder, Ya Rabb harder than those who are working to convey a false image of Islam. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma hadina fi man hadayt, wa aafina fi man aafayt, wa tawallana fi man tawallayt, wa barik lana fi ma a'atayt, wa qina sharra ma qadayt, fa innaka taqdi wa la yuqda alayk, innahu la yathillu man walayt, wa la ya'izzu man aadayt, barakta rabbana wa ta'alayt, rabbana atina fi dunya hasana, wa fil akhirati hasana, wa qina azab al-nar, wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam 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 s